well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with us on the program today. Uh, Coming up, I was going to say in a matter of moments, but I mean, let's just get right to it. Uh, Darren Lasorba, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, is going to join us. We're talking about... A bill that has been introduced in a number of states around the country called the FIND Act. Uh, And this is a response to the type of corporate gun control policies that we have seen put in place by a number of big financial institutions. Really, I think it really kicked off in earnest after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018. Uh, that's when you started seeing a number of big banks uh, like Bank of America and uh, Citigroup, uh, J.P. Morgan, coming out and saying, basically, listen, we're not going to do business with any entity in the firearms industry unless they abide by our standards of practices, which include all kinds of gun control laws. So, you know, some companies say, listen, if you're making some automatic rifles, you, you no, know, we're not going to be your business partner. If you're making, you know, large capacity magazines, we're not going to do business with you. Uh, if you were selling firearms, uh, you know, legally, but let's say a 20 year old walks into your gun shop and wants to buy a shotgun and you sell it to them, which is again, perfectly legal under state and federal law. Well, we don't think that that 20 year old should be able to buy a shotgun. So if we find out you're doing that, we're going to cut you off, right? That's what we've seen from these major financial institutions and now the firearms industry is fighting back, as uh, Darren Lasort from the NSSF explains. Take a look and a listen. Darren, thanks so much for joining me on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Thank you, Cam. It's great to see. You. It's been a long time, but we've known each other for a very long time. And I always appreciate what you do to keep gun owners and the gun community informed on what's going on. Well, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I sit in a room all day and type and talk. You're out there talking to lawmakers. You're, uh, you know, in state capitals uh, uh, trying to make sure that uh, the firearms industry, in this case, it sounds like this is something that the NSSF has been working on, is not being discriminated against by these big financial institutions that, frankly, it's it's really difficult to avoid working with these banks that have, you know, implemented these these anti-gun policies. Yeah, you're right. Um, So, you know, this is an example of, uh, you know, just deciding to take action, finding a solution. Um, Personally, I took action in 2018. My bank for 20, 30 years, my adult life um, was Bank of America. They announced their policy in 2018. I decided to change all my accounts over. It was enormously painful to do, as you can imagine. Had to have two bank accounts for a while while I cleared out of the Bank of America accounts. But I went to a great deal of effort to not support this company. And so what's going on right now is these large companies like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, uh, Salesforce, PayPal, this isn't just banking are benefiting from my taxpayer dollars against my will. So what the state is doing is taking my taxpayer dollars and handing it to these large companies that discriminate against our constitutional rights in the form of contracts. So this is all happening through contracts with banks and and other service providers. Um, And what this legislation is doing, and we passed it in Texas last year, we have it going in a number of states this year, is saying that these companies that discriminate against the firearm industry just because they're the firearm industry will not benefit from taxpayer dollars. 
And that is a great thing because we should not be compelled as taxpayers to fund the destruction and diminution of our constitutional rights. And that's what these companies are ultimately seeking to do. Yeah. So, okay. So let me ask you a question because um, I, I wrote about a bill that uh, I think was signed into law in Oklahoma, uh, or at least it has passed the legislature in Oklahoma. And, and I, uh, one of the opponents of this, one of the Democrats who voted against the bill called it a political stunt. And I, I said after reading it, is it a political stunt? Maybe a little. And I want to focus on something that you just said, because I'm I'm happy to, to be corrected if I'm misreading this. One when you talk loved about you. <laughs> well, listen, it's important that the audience gets the right information, not that I am always right 100 percent of the time. So when you talk about these banks discriminating against firearms companies because they're gun companies, mm-hmm. I worry that the response from like Bank of America or City would be, well, we're not discriminating against gun companies just because they're gun companies. We're discriminating against companies that have a specific policy that we don't like. So as long as, listen, if you're making bolt action rifles, no problem. We'll do business with you. But if you're making semi-automatic rifles, well, that's where we're not going to do business with you. How, tell me about the the specifics of this bill. I mean, does that, yeah. um, how does that, how does that work? If a company is targeting a, a firearms manufacturer because of the specific gun they're making, not because they're making guns, but because they're making an AR-15 or they're making quote unquote large capacity magazines, um, does that bill cover those? Does it protect those companies specifically? So great question. Um, it is a complicated field. You know, this is this is a complicated thing to get done. We've been working on it for about two years. I think we did it right in Texas. So that was Texas is the only state in the country that has this in law. The beautiful thing is that it's the ninth largest economy in the world if it were a country. So this is hitting these companies right where it counts. So I do believe it works. I believe that the best attorneys in the world believes it, believe it works. Um, and that is because J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, um, uh, Bank of America are all denying themselves billions of dollars of work right now in Texas because they know they have policies that discriminate against the gun industry in violation of the FIND Act. I can assure you that if these attorneys believe this legislation had loopholes and did not work, they would be going after those billions of dollars of taxpayer dollars in Texas. So I think that's the quick answer to your question. These banks are denying themselves huge um, deals because they believe the bill is effective. They know they have overarching policies of discrimination. And that's what really this bill is going after. It's not about a specific decision Citigroup decides to make with one FFL in Florida because mm-hmm. that FFL doesn't have great you know, accounting practices or their bottom line isn't looking as good as it should. This is These companies have overarching policies that say, yeah, we're not going to work with this company because it makes scary looking MSRs or magazines that are actually appropriate for self-defense use because they hold more than 10 rounds. It's because they just don't want to do business. And so I'll give you an example. Um, Citigroup right now in Texas is the one big bank that is trying to continue to work in the state, try to benefit from taxpayer dollars. And the only argument I can believe it's making because is that basically what you said. We don't discriminate against all gun manufacturers. We just, or gun retailers, we discriminate against the ones that sell long guns 
22-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds, even though it's legal under federal and state law, we discriminate against the gun dealers that sell magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. And we sell and we discriminate against gun dealers who might decide to go ahead and transfer a gun pursuant to federal and state law if the federal government's taken 25 days to approve the background check. These are all things that virtually every gun dealer in Texas does, especially those first two, selling standard capacity magazines and um, selling to 20, 19, and 18 year olds long guns. So this is what gun businesses do. And that's what the legislation talks about is you can't discriminate against the gun industry. You can't discriminate against firearm retailers. And ultimately, it's for the sole reason that they are in the gun business. But doing all of what I just said is what gun businesses do. Right. So you can't have it both ways because let's take it to the extreme because we're having this conversation right now with the attorney general in Texas. Let's take it to the extreme. Let's go ahead and say Bank of America comes out with a new policy that they'll only do work with members of the gun gun industry that make brown best replicas. Well, we're pretty sure those don't exist. Oh, but we don't discriminate against everybody, just those who make guns that make guns that aren't brown best replicas. They could be trying to bypass the law by having a policy like that, but obviously it would in effect discriminate against every gun manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what Citigroup is basically arguing. We aren't discriminating against all, but they are. Um, and all of these things are what gun businesses do. So Citibank's argument is not going to hold water. I believe the attorney general is about to set them straight very soon here in Texas. OK, so let me ask you um, real quick. I'm going to ask you just a, a quick question with a quick answer, because then I'm going to yeah. ask you a longer question. That's probably going to have a longer answer. Um the Texas bill, if I understand correctly, that deals specifically with access to the municipal bond markets uh, in the state, right? It does not. It, it deals with everything. It now deals so, with everything. Okay. So Salesforce might have a contract with Department of Administration to deal with some component of their customer service, totally separate of bonds or anything else. It's every sort of government contract. Gotcha. Okay. Processors, et cetera. Okay. Because I know the bond... There was a law, I think it was signed in 2021, that dealt specifically with municipal bond markets. So that was going to be the next question then. Are you running up against opposition? Because, look, for Republicans, they are, generally speaking, the party of pro-Second Amendment viewpoints. Uh, right. They are also, generally speaking, the pro-capitalism party, right? right. So are, are you running into any roadblocks as you're talking to lawmakers around the country who are saying, listen, Darren, you know, we we're with you in spirit, uh, but, but, you know, free market. Uh, and, and it's not our place to, to tell, uh, you know, these financial institutions uh, what type of policies they should have in place or else they, they can't do business with the state. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one, and you sort of said it there at the end, this does not tell them that they cannot discriminate against the firearm industry. It just says they won't benefit from taxpayer dollars if they make that choice. Mm -hmm. So I, my argument, my primary argument is that the state has a, a vested interest in ensuring that the firearm industry remains healthy, that we receive the essential services like banking that we must have in order to stay in existence because we are the one industry, the only industry that is necessary for citizens to exercise a constitutional right. There is no other. And so they have a state interest in protecting us from malice, from malicious attempts to destroy us, like when the banks try to shut us down. 
So that is the argument. And then ultimately, the the more, I guess, um, uh, just, I guess, the, the argument that's a little less structured is that it is wrong to compel the taxpayers to fund companies seeking to diminish and destroy their constitutional rights. There are companies that are not worthy of receiving taxpayer dollars. We're doing that right now. We could be doing business with Russian companies, getting Russian oil and gas, and we aren't, even though it would save us some money because we don't want to support those Russian government-backed corporations. So I think we're doing it right now, and Texas has decided to do it in the firearms realm and these companies that discriminate against us. All right. Uh, last question for you. What are some states where this is currently a live issue uh, where, where, you know, gun owners uh, and FFLs, folks who maybe work in the firearms industry, where they can make a difference by contacting their lawmakers, their state representatives, their state senators and saying, listen, we, we need to have this in place. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where we have it going on a fairly regular basis is uh, Oklahoma right now. It's in the final stages, hopefully going to be to the governor within a week or two. So great to be able to reach out to legislators in Oklahoma and ask for support um, and uh, the FIND Act. They know what that is. Um, uh, So Arkansas next year, uh, right now, Louisiana, there's a bill pending. The governor vetoed it last year. We're hoping to override the governor's veto this year. They have it going to Missouri, Kansas. It's pending in Arizona right now. It's passed the House. It's pending in the Senate. We're about two or three votes short at the moment. So Arizona, it's important to reach out. And if you just say, ask for support of the FIND Act, legislators are going to know what that is. Um, Now, you did ask real quickly on how this actually works in effect. How it works in effect is when a company goes in for a government contract worth over $100,000, They simply have to sign a written verification that they do not discriminate against the firearm industry. This is really a self-policing issue. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who have to verify we do not have a policy that discriminates. So that's kind of how the bill works in very general terms. There are a couple of exceptions, but very limited. To my knowledge, in Texas, after eight or nine months of being in effect, those exceptions have not even been utilized. So it's working in Texas. I think we're certainly very proud of it. Um, we, we knew that there was a problem out there. We didn't necessarily know in the past how to address the problem. We believe that this is one of those instances where we found a solution that has really making, made them take note, the big banks on Wall Street, et cetera, because we do have some sources from the inside of those banks. And this shook them to their core when they realized in Texas they were going to lose billions of dollars of work because of their woke anti-gun policies. Yeah, and that's exactly what they are. Uh, again, this is an attempt to impose, you know, a gun control at the at the corporate level uh, on an industry uh, that is complying with with state, local, and federal law. So, listen, uh, what what is what, you call the this the Find Act? Just so folks know, what does that acronym stand for? Good question. Firearm Industry Non Discrimination Act. So. It's, Pretty simple. Um, and it actually it, means what it says, unlike a lot of these bills where it's, you yeah. know, the uh, Hugs and Puppies Act of 2022. That's like a gun registry bill. I like that. Hey. Yeah, I can't take credit for, for the naming of it. Um, <laughs> I think that was one of my cohorts, but um, it was well done. And I agree with you on that. And the idea is even in those states where this is not currently pending, talk to your legislators at campaign events, make this an issue, bring this to the forefront of their minds. This has to happen. We get this done in a few more states. 
I think a lot of these policies will change. And that's the ultimate objective. It's not to punish them. It's ultimately to have them getting back to doing business and making money like these companies were always supposed to do. And, and like you said, stop making policy from the boardrooms because we have elected officials who do that just fine. And there's a reason in a lot of these states, these elected officials are not enacting these policies that these big companies want against MSRs, standard capacity magazines, and the rest of it. It's because they don't work and they diminish our freedoms. There you go. Darren, let's start with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Thank you so much, sir. Good talking with you today. Hope we get a chance to do this again very soon. Thanks, Cam. I look forward to it, buddy. I do appreciate Darren sitting down with us to talk about the FIND Act. And I, I, I listen, I hope that I was uh, a wrong about these companies trying to weasel their way out of the uh, repercussions of these uh, uh, bills around the country. I keep my fingers crossed that, in, in fact, I am wrong, which is a weird thing to say. But uh, we will obviously be keeping a close eye on the FIND Act as uh, it is implemented in states across the country uh, and hopefully, again, I mean, look, as Darren said, the goal is not to punish these banks. The goal is to get them to uh, make access to their services, a level playing field, not based on uh, the, uh, the the anti-gun attitudes of a CEO uh, or uh, certain stakeholders. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report as well. We'll start there with a case out of Chicago, courtesy of the fantastic website CWB Chicago, uh, which is reporting that a man accused of attacking and stabbing his girlfriend has received a plea deal and will spend just three years, actually will not spend three years in prison, was sentenced to three years for this attack. Kevin Collins is the suspect's name, and it was back in uh, 2017 when he first made headlines after his five-year-old son shot himself with an illegally possessed firearm uh, in his home. A year earlier, the boy had been shot in the face during a drive-by. Now, Kevin Collins received a two-year prison sentence for possessing a defaced firearm after his son found the gun in a bedroom closet and then shot himself in the hand. Last February, so now February of 2021, police arrested Collins again after finding his girlfriend in a River North hotel room with a stab wound to her chest, lacerations on her hand, as well as head trauma. Uh, that woman, by the way, also the mother of Collins' child. According to CWB Chicago, she told police that she remembered Collins punching her in the head during an argument and recalled seeing blood coming from her chest and realizing that he had stabbed her before she lost consciousness. Now, Collins had been arrested at this point six previous times for domestic violence, including five times for incidents involving the woman who was stabbed. Um, none of the cases, according to the assistant state's attorney who handled this most recent prosecution, none of those cases resulted in convictions because the victims either refused to sign complaints or they failed to appear in court. Prosecutors in this case charged Collins with attempted murder. And the uh, judge, after hearing uh, the allegations during a bail hearing last year, said that he quote, poses a real and present threat to this victim and any female that he comes in contact with, as well as this community. Now, we don't know why a plea deal was reached with Collins. It could be that the victim in this case, once again, was expressing reservations about showing up to testify, in which case that makes the deal maybe a little bit more understandable. You got to go with what you've got. And if you don't have a key witness willing to testify that, yes, he stabbed me in the chest. What are the likely uh, possibilities that you're going to be able to achieve a conviction? 
I don't know that that's the case. What we do know is that Collins and prosecutors did reach an agreement. And prosecutors dropped the attempted murder charge, as well as two aggravated battery charges. And in exchange, Collins agreed to plead guilty to one count of aggravated domestic battery and received a three-year sentence. A judge handed down that sentence, giving Collins credit for 342 days that he spent in jail, which means that uh, Collins will be released in August of 2023, at the latest. Yeah. You know, again, not every one of these recidivist reports involves a prosecutor or a judge who just completely disregarded common sense. Sometimes there are legitimate reasons why a prosecutor feels like a plea bargain is the best route to go. I would just say that if you are afraid of testifying, and I know that that's a legit fear that people have, if you're afraid of the potential consequences to yourself or to your family, if you speak up, you may be worried that, uh, you know, if even if that uh, your assailant gets convicted and is sent away, his associates may be out there willing to do you and your family harm. I mean, this is a legit concern, which is one of the reasons why we talk a lot at Bearing Arms about the need to bolster witness protection services as a way of fighting crime, as a way of reducing crime. But ultimately, as difficult as this choice is, I believe it comes down to the fact that if we are in a position to say something, to ensure that a violent offender receives consequences, even in this broken criminal justice system that we have, it is incumbent upon us to do our duty and to testify to, again, ensure that there are consequences. Because we can complain all we want about how broken this criminal justice system is. But when we're in a position to help apply some spackle uh, or some wood putty, right? Not fix it entirely, but just, man, just help it out just a little bit. And we don't. We just allow the system to get worse. All right, uh, today's Armed Citizen story, also from Chicago. And this is actually an update to a, a story from uh, April. And it is it's a tragedy. It really is. A 14-year-old who was one of several suspects who tried to rob a retired Cook County Sheriff's officer has passed away from the injuries that he received after he was shot by that retired officer uh, in self-defense. This was April 28th. The 60-year-old victim was walking to his car in Chicago when three men came up to him. One of them stuck a gun to his back. The other two stole his belongings. And the uh, Chicago officer, again, uh, uh, fired uh, at those suspects. Uh, One of the three, 14-year-old, shot in the head, taken uh, at the time to a local hospital in critical condition. Uh, and again, has since passed away. The other two robbery suspects were caught just a few blocks away. They have been arrested. No word on if they will be facing murder charges uh, in connection with the death of their associate. The uh, retired sheriff's officer was uninjured uh, and was not charged because he was acting in self-defense. And while I'm glad that he is okay, again, the the loss of a 14-year-old's life, a life that could have been turned around, it is tragic. It really is. I feel bad for his family. But again, we have to do what we can as parents to ensure. And we're not always going to be successful. You can have the greatest parent in the world. 
But, you know, sometimes kids are going to make their own decisions. But it is still incumbent on us, I believe, as parents to try to instill in our kids the difference between right and wrong. And uh, failing that, uh, helping to teach them the law of survival, which is that you are much more likely to make it through a day if you don't try to rob someone of their stuff, if you don't threaten somebody else's life. Because in this world that we live in, when you pose a threat to somebody else's life or limb, guess what? They can act in self-defense, and you might be the one who doesn't make it home at the end of the evening. That is a message. I mean, that's a scary message, but uh, I got to tell you, given the rise in juvenile crime we're seeing around the country, I think it is a message that uh, some teens need to get. Finally today, our good deed of the day from, uh, well, let's see, where was this? Uh, Burlington, Massachusetts, is that right? I believe so. Uh, An attempted kidnapping in Burlington, reported by uh, CBS Boston anyway. Uh, caught on surveillance video. Now, the video itself, I have to say, uh, I, I cannot show you, but I can tell you all about the attempted kidnapping. This was Sunday night around 820. person called 911 uh, to report a woman who was being dragged away uh, by a man on Middlesex Turnpike. Um, the caller uh, could be heard asking the victim, do you, do you know this guy? And she says, no. So the 911 caller who was in their vehicle when they saw what was going on and they had pulled over, suspect takes off when he sees that somebody was actually paying attention to what was going on. Uh, that person uh, spoke to WBZ in Boston. They are choosing to remain anonymous. But the uh, good Samaritan said, I was screaming, get off of her, let her go. And she was just yelling. And as soon as I got out of my car, she ran towards my car. I got out and he was gone. Thankfully, again, the woman was saved and the good Samaritan was unharmed. But I have to say, too, in this case, well, I'm very, very grateful and thankful for that armed citizen being in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. That Good Samaritan is very, very lucky that the woman's uh, uh, attempted abductor was not armed uh, and did not pose a threat to life or limb for the Good Samaritan, uh, as in addition to the woman he was trying to abduct. I... I we don't know. Listen, maybe that Good Samaritan is a legal gun owner. Maybe they've got their license to carry. Maybe that's why they they didn't have to use that fire. Maybe that's why they felt compelled or felt like they were able to stop. Um, but again, this is something I think a lot about because there are Good Samaritan stories that end in tragedy, unfortunately, where somebody tries to do the right thing but are unprepared to deal with the violent offender that they are uh, trying to save someone from. So uh, I would encourage you, uh, as always. When you see somebody in need and you are in a position to help, please do. But again, I would also encourage people to be able to protect themselves at any given time, as is your constitutional right, because you never know when crime can strike. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms. Cam and Company, I appreciate you being a part of the program. As always, we will see you back here tomorrow. Don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day for even more Second Amendment news and information that you should know about. And if you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. All you have to do is go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. See how easy we made that. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, all one word, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thank you for showing your support for the independent pro Second Amendment journalism we do at Bearing Arms, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis, stuff you won't find anywhere else. Because your support does matter. 
and it does make a difference. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Look forward to talking again tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.